Welcome to the Business Herald podcast. The Business Herald is a weekly roundup of all of the top UK business news stories by email, social media, and this podcast. The podcast will feature some of the week's main stories, and we'll be joined by various business people on each episode to discuss the week's news and how it might impact a smaller business like yours. And hopefully we'll have some fun on a Friday too. I'm your host, Stephen Mather. I'm a lawyer for SMEs, and I help business owners sleep better at night by sorting their legal problems out. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Business Herald. Welcome along to episode 22 of The Business Herald, a weekly podcast and newsletter featuring business news and economy news and how it impacts upon your smaller SME business. This week's show is slightly different than usual. I'm trying to find the best way to deliver what you want, and so I'd really appreciate your feedback. What would you like more of or less of? How can I make this show even better? Or I guess, less worse. So let's get started. On Monday this week, the main news story was Boohoo buying the Debenhams brand and website for £55 million, resulting in, in some anticipated 15,000 job losses and 118 store closures. The big question, in my view, that needs to be asked is why the directors of Debenhams point-blank refused Mike Ashley's Fraser Group support. Was it really just spite? They didn't like him, or was it something else? He apparently offered £125 million to take over Debenhams, but that was turned down, and he also offered them a £50 lifeline, which was also refused. So I think there's some questions to be asked there. Debenhams was valued at one point at £1.7 billion when it floated in 2006, but it struggled to make a profit over the last few years. Boohoo, meanwhile, is owned by Mahmoud Kamani and has had itself a tumultuous year with a scandal that saw it uh, allegations against it that it used sweatshops in Leicester to produce its clothing during the pandemic. However, it also saw revenues jump 40% to $660 million and profits to $68 million, so it's not been affected that badly. Also on Monday, the United Nations said that the pandemic has caused an unprecedented hit to the global economy, destroying the equivalent of 225 million jobs full-time worldwide. Moving on to Tuesday, the Office of National Statistics put out the latest employment or unemployment figures. They show that around 5% of people are now unemployed, with 1.72 million people now jobless. And there's still 4 million people on furlough. And it would seem likely, in my opinion, that the majority of those are probably not going to return back to the job they left. Interestingly, Gordon Brown, the, the previous Labour Chancellor, has said that the official job statistics are missing out on around about 300,000 people um, and so that the jobs, job stats are actually worse than they appear. Meanwhile, the Institute of Fiscal Studies called for tax reforms on the self-employed, saying it is unfair that an employee earning £40,000 pays between three and £4,000 more tax than someone does as a self-employed person in business. But that completely forgets the fact that someone in business is taking a risk, they're investing, they're employing people, they're not getting paid holiday, they don't have unfair dismissal rights, maternity or paternity pay, and things like that. So, in my opinion, it's a little bit harsh for the Institute of Financial Studies to 
come out and say that self-employed should be taxed the same as uh, an employee. Um, uh, but it's interesting in, in my view that we've seen a lot of reports like this over the last few weeks and months, the inevitability of tax increases. And it's almost as if they are sowing the seed uh, that um, uh, so that the the view in the public is that, do you know what, self-employed people should be paying more, uh, as, as much tax as an employee. I don't agree with that. What do you think? Let me know. Also on Tuesday, HMRC finally backed down and agreed to waive penalties for the late filing of self-assessment returns until the end of February. Although being HMRC, they still insisted that payments and interest would start from the 1st of February. So what they're effectively saying is you can file your self-assessment you won't know exactly how much to pay, but we're still going to tax you on the amount that you don't know how much you have to pay. So thanks very much, HMRC, for helping all of those people that have struggled because of the pandemic to get their accounts and returns done properly. On Wednesday, there was a report saying that 1.8 million businesses are at risk of insolvency, with 336,000 at, quote, high risk. 1.8 million businesses, the headline sounds like a lot. But of course, most businesses are at risk of insolvency. Insolvency is a really simple um, scenario. It means that you don't have either um, enough assets to cover your liabilities or you just run out of cash. There's a cash flow situation. And of course, for many, many businesses, that that's true. Even those ones that are prepared and have three or six months um, you know, reserves in their bank account are still at risk of insolvency if the work dries up. So the headline is, uh, I think, a bit over the top. Perhaps it's true that 330,000 are at high risk of insolvency, and those would be those businesses that perhaps don't have you know, enough cash in the bank to last them to the end of the month or end of you know, the next month ahead of them. Um, meanwhile, we saw a report talking about cash and cash flow that Rolls-Royce is burning through £2 billion of cash every six months. That's an extraordinary amount. Um, they they uh, had a cash call last year and uh, and added £4.6 billion um, pounds, uh, to their reserves. They've spent it. They need another £2 billion to keep them going. Uh, it's an amazing, um, amazing amount of money. Uh, interestingly, um, the reason why they're struggling is, um, is because they... Uh, their revenue, their income stream is from uh, the vast majority of it comes from airplanes, obviously, airplane engines, and they charge um, an ongoing annuity, uh, an annual payment, which is usually over sort of 20, 30 year period, the lifetime of a, an engine, but it's based upon flying hours. So it's great when their engines are in airplanes that are flying constantly because they get more money, but when they don't fly, all dries up. So it shows you the in, the the the, the difficulty that's a great idea and a great model but it's changed and so something to consider there for your business we also learned that arcadia the um the, the brands owned by sir philip green top shop etc uh, collapsed under a 750 million pounds worth of debt meanwhile uh, there's been news from the big american tech giants microsoft apple facebook all of whom have had massive 30% increases in turnover and profit over the last uh, last quarter. Moving to Thursday, and on Thursday, Saga, the travel company and insurance company, announced that it booked quite what I think is a quite amazing £140 million worth of cruises for later on this year, demonstrating that certainly its target market, the older generation, are confident or hopeful at least, 
that they're going to go back on holiday. They've had their vaccines or they're ready to have their vaccines. Saga has a no vaccine, no cruise policy. And they've, they've had £140 million pounds worth of, um, of income for cruises later this year. And I think that's fantastic. That's really good. I'm really looking forward to being able to get back on holiday. I don't know about you. We also heard news that the number of vacant shops increased in the fastest at the fastest point in a decade. Lots of vacant shops right now. And the question for me, the question for the high street and question for the economy, I believe, is what are we going to do about it? At the moment, we have high tax rates. Business tax rates on shops is high. And that will put off a lot of smaller businesses from opening up a shop. They're vacant. We also have landlords. I'm not having a go at, uh, at landlords in any way, shape or form. But I have heard of some landlords who are refusing to reduce their rent. And they'd rather keep their shop open, expecting that they're going to get a you know a triple A tenant in. But what's been clear over the past um, 12, 18 months is that those AAA tenants are probably more as much likely to um, to go bust and not pay the rent as the smaller ones. So I think there's got to be a give. There's got to be a change from a, from a council tax point of view, a business rates point of view. They've got to come down to encourage people to take out shops. Um, landlords maybe have to change the way in which they work and you know, turnover linked um, leases becoming more um, uh, people are becoming more aware of them, and maybe that's an option to have people fill those shops. Um, we had that uh, on, Tuesday, on Thursday as well. We had that car production had fell to its lowest point in 37 years, and another bad stat was that the pandemic is costing the hospitality sector eight million pounds an hour in lost sales. Amazing figures. On Thursday, we also saw um, the culmination of the market manipulation or alleged market manipulation being caused by the um, the users of the Reddit online forum um, in buying or tipping stocks in America, such as a company called GameStop um, and BlackBerry, who you, you will have heard of. And these were companies that were um, loss-making. Um, GameStop, for instance, had $6 billion um, revenue in the last year and made a billion dollars loss. Um, and it's the most shorted uh, stock on um, in, in the US. And so what Reddit did is decide to affect that, change it, um, encourage everybody to buy it, thus meaning that the hedge funds would lose money. They would have to then buy new shares at a higher price in order to mitigate an offset against their losses, continuing the increase in the share price. And apparently $50 billion has been lost by hedge funds so far. Um, uh, yesterday afternoon, the the... the, the apps that um, most people were using to buy these uh, these shares Robinhood in um, in America trading 212 um, interactive investors they all stopped people from buying new shares and there's been a bit of a um, an outrage about that as to whether or not that should be permitted by the the share platforms um, and I talk about that with Ben in a moment and finally on Thursday, the IMF produced a report that said that the financial markets could see a severe correction because investors are complacent with the bailout money from central banks. So I spoke to Ben Wattam, a director of Wattam, Kirby & Me, a financial planning and wealth management firm in Leicester, about this and to hear what his views were. Um, so, yeah, the, the IMF have basically said that, um, that markets, uh, there's excessive risk taking and there's a share price bubble and there's uh we're prone to a correction and 
I am not the biggest fan of these sorts of bodies, the IMF, the Bank of England, because they think that they control everything. Um, and they think the only way to, to solve problems is for them to solve the problems with more policies or less policies. So they control things. And I really, really strongly disagree with what, I mean, if you look at the two authors, what they've said, their previous blogs, they've been consistently negative on absolutely anything and every, everything you ever want to discuss. Um, and I think it was a JK Galbraith, the ex um, economist who predicted the, the, uh, the economic crash in the 1930s said economic um, forecasting is, is only there to prove that um, um, what was it? Um, um, I can't remember what he was saying, but basically he said that economic forecasting is a waste of time. And he was an right. economic forecaster himself. And it just kind of proves the point that, I mean, economists, I trained as an economist um, at university, and they often get things extremely wrong, as we've seen in the last 12 months, 18 mm. months. So my, my, my real point is, that, right, our view is that we're, that we're definitely at the start of an economic recovery. And if you look back to all the economic recoveries in the last 100 years, um, they've always been extremely bumpy when we've come out of uh, economic crashes. So look back at 2008-9. In 2010-11-12, when we were coming out of that recovery, we then fell into the the euro crisis. We always have these bumps in the road. After the tech crash in 2000, 2001, 2 and 3 were really poor for um, earnings. Um, So... Recoveries are always bumpy, um, and this recovery is going to be extremely bumpy because everyone knows of the healthcare crisis that we're in and the stresses that it's causing on all parts of the economy. So it's going to be a bumpy recovery. Um, now, that means that share prices are going to move around a lot um, because share prices are a reflection of our outlook, uh, investors' outlook, and that outlook is going to change um, as we go through the next six to 12 months. But the point that the IMF is saying is that um, that basically the IMF is saying that markets are, are, aren't really looking at what's going on in the world at the minute. The IMF is saying, look, look what's going on. Look at the pandemic. Look at all the economic stress it's causing. Yet markets are, are, are really high. And they're not quite getting the point, in my, in my opinion, that investors look forward. We invest in um, equity markets um, for the next three to five years, not... The last three to six months. Yeah, and, it, and it's a it's a is it's a, it's a truism, isn't it? That the market reflects what the market is. Like the, the market only does what it it, it reflects, and if, and if that's looking forward, it's it's got to be pricing in what the the, the current situation is, because otherwise, it's not the market. Yeah, and the, the market is so split at the minute. Um, the equity market. If you look at the names like um, any the big tech names, Microsoft had their earnings announcement um, earlier this week. Um, profit was up 33% um, in the, pre, the last three months of 2020 compared to 2019. Yeah. Microsoft's one of the biggest businesses in the world and they've got profit growth, yeah. revenue growth of 17%. Yeah. So you have all those tech names that are doing really, really well, um, really strong earnings growth. You look at all the internet-enabled retailers, and they're, they're flying. And and again, in the IMF article, they say um, that a lot of the the sectors that are in stress, um, like leisure um, and traditional retail things like that, of uh, investors are pushing their share prices up. And it's because 
back last summer and autumn, if you take someone like EasyJet, um, if we didn't get some sort of um, uh, uh, vaccine sorted, it was only a matter of time that EasyJet would probably go bust because they can't, they couldn't carry on in the way that 2020 was going. So there was a lot of concern that, are EasyJet actually going to survive this or are they going to get, are they going to get bust? Now, when the vaccines got announced in, what was it, November, October, November last year, the difference between pricing and businesses going bust and pricing and businesses going to survive is is massively different. So I think a lot of the the rally that we've seen in the last few months has been that. It's been almost a relief rally that actually these businesses aren't hopefully going to go bust, that they can survive this next six to 12 months and they will live because if they do live, they've got, what, 30, 50 years of earnings plus profits that mm-hmm. investors can price in. So I think there's a few different things that I just don't think the IMF, I mean, in their little bubble world of policy making, they just don't quite get it, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. And and it's um it it, it was interesting to me actually on the um on the same day as uh, as the IMF um, story was reported, there was an EY report that said um, that actually Britain's going to sidestep a double dip recession because it, the, the market and the economy has shown that it's actually been quite resilient. And, yeah. and so it's it's one of those things that um, uh, I think as a we 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 generally kind of have you know people that you know the economists, but we forget maybe that sometimes some of it might be opinion as much as fact it's some, some sometimes you know people's gut feeling because it's predicting the future almost isn't it like you're saying you're pricing in the future and you're looking at someone like let's take easyjet you're looking at that and saying right okay if there wasn't a vaccines around this company would go bust because it's going to cash burn very quickly it's still cash it's still burning cash and it's still really struggling but actually there's on the horizon it might get back into doing some some work and therefore there's some potential there yeah i think i mean I haven't seen that EY report, but there's been some strange thing. It's it's been a strange recession economy for the last twelve months because usually um, certain parts of the economy hold up quite well actually in recessions, and other parts really struggle. So traditionally, like manufacturing, always very weak in recessions, but and services are generally strong. This time, it's been the opposite. If you look at the manufacturing data coming out at the end of last year, it's really strong around the world. really strong but it was the services that are actually quite weak um which is slightly different and also look at the um uh, bankruptcy data the bankruptcy data is bizarre so it's not just the uk look at the us or even in europe as well bankruptcies have been falling consistently last year so bankruptcies are much lower now than they were a year ago Mm. it's just strange um i think that will change but because of the level of support that we've had I mean, the, the IMF article as well says that policy support remains crucial. Of course, it remains crucial. I mean, policy policy um, makers, whether it's in in fiscal or, or monetary, um, they know they need the, the economy needs support. They're yeah. not going to raise interest rates anytime soon. Yeah. So saying that kind of sentence is just a bit of a pointless comment because they know we're not stupid. They're not stupid. Most of it, them anyway. it, it, it looks like most of them worldwide from from my understanding most of them realize as well I know, I know um what's her face Janet Yellen she was talking about it, spending big you know you've got to you've got to spend 
spend your way out of this. And that's that, that Keynesian theory, isn't it? Of kind of what yeah. used to happen after wars, we're, we're in the same situation. You've got to spend your way out of it. It's only the real way to, uh, to kind of get the economy moving. Yeah, we, we tried um, uh, cutting back at the end of 20, 2009, 2010, so to come 2013, 14. And it just didn't work. Mm. Um, it's very, very, very difficult. I think the way that, from a debt perspective, the only way we're getting out of this is to inflate our way out of it. That's um, what we did after the Second World War. If you look at the data of the Second World War, the UK had its highest debt um, levels ever compared to the size of the economy. And, and then following 10 years, what they did, the Bank of England kept interest rates at rock bottom and didn't react to changes in inflation. So inflation picked up, interest rates didn't move. And, and the benefit of that from a government point of view is that that inflation just eats away at the value of the debt. And it's exactly what we're going to try and do this time. Yeah. We're not going to try and um, cut costs. We're going to spend our way out of it. Hopefully inflation picks up. If and when it does, they're not going to do anything about it. They'll let inflation run higher for longer and eat away the value of the debt. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't, um, hadn't considered that, but that's, that's a good point. Yeah. What do you make of, um, if anything, the, the, the news about the report today, or I think it's today, that the Office of National Statistics for um, people that are on furlough, there's still about 4 million people that are on furlough. It's, it's costing the government $3 billion a, a month or thereabouts to, uh, to pay everybody. Looks like that's going to continue. Um, and there's, there's massive um, unemployment. That's increased 5% in unemployment with... Gordon Brown saying that uh, that actually the the official figures are, are um, slightly misleading, and there's probably another three or four hundred thousand people that are going to be that, that that are unemployed, and we're in a situation where there's you know massive amounts of um, people unemployed, and if if come um, well now it's you know June for um, furlough situation. If there's four million, my view has always been, if there's four million people that are on furlough now, it's likely that there's going to be at least half of them that don't have jobs that have just been, you know, kind of held on by, um, by a thread. Does that um, cliff face, if there is a cliff face, and there might not be for policy reasons, but if there is a cliff face, does that have a, like a major impact on the economy, do you think? Or does it just, well, we, we deal with that because they, they're, they're assumed somewhere else, so they get jobs elsewhere in, in the end. Yeah, it's a good question. I, mean, I think um, with the bankruptcy data linked to it as well, Whilst the bankruptcy data fall, the number of bankruptcies falling is a positive. It's also a big concern um, because um, whilst recessions are painful, what they actually do from an economic perspective is is uh, kind of get rid of all those companies that aren't actually very good and that don't make good use of capital, and uh, it recycles labour, it recycles capital. And it's really healthy, actually, for the economy. So what we're seeing at the minute from a labour point of view and a, a corporate point of view is that we're kind of trying to push all this back or push, or push it so it never happens. And it just means we're going to have a load of um, like zombie companies out there that are on life support, that they're not really doing much for the economy, but they're still alive just... Um, and they keep people employed, but it's not, it's not going to be positive kind of employment growth for the next few years. Yeah. And this is a bit of a concern that 
it's not going to help the economy keeping these sorts of companies alive and kicking. And I suppose prior to COVID, the pandemic, um, there were some clear themes in the economy, not just the British economy, but around the world, um, that were putting traditional some traditional businesses under stress. So things like high street retail, I mean, that was under pressure before COVID, um, and it's, COVID really hurt that kind of sector hard. But we need... We almost need these bankruptcies and need these redundancies to force people to retrain, to find, uh, to get to start new companies and to start like the next cycle of recovery. Mm. I think yeah. Brexit, I have no idea what the impact is, is going to be, to be honest. But initial comments from the likes of Nissan is a real big positive. So I, I think the UK is actually in a much better position now than it was probably three years ago. Um, so, I mean, forget the politics because that's pretty horrendous. But I think if from a certainty can... point of view, you guys, you, you guys are looking at certainty and where we're at and where we can see we is going. That's that's why it seems better to you, isn't it? That's yeah. That's what economists look at. That's where the market looks at. And where there's flux in it, it's like well, we don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen with Brexit? What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? And that's why, it's like something like the vaccines coming in gives the market some comfort actually there's there, there is some light ahead at the uh, light at the end of the tunnel here and we might be able to get back to normal brexit happens and and does, doesn't matter where your politics are on it it's like well at least we know where we're at now we yep. can we can now deal with that yep we can get on with it mm. yeah. yeah and i think i think you're right with the um you know the kind of the business things i've had people on the, the podcast in the past and it's it sounds really harsh to say that businesses the the number of businesses that are fail well there always are businesses that will fail you know the statistics for a business that starts in its first year and fails in its first year are incredibly high the ones that start and then and fail within the first three and five years incredibly high yeah and and also we have an aging population so there's uh, there's lots of people that have got to um you know maybe somewhere in their 60s and thinking why on earth am i carrying on doing this like it's so much better for me to go and do my gardening I'll, I'll do that thanks and then i'll look at you know selling the business or closing it or folding or whatever but then that becomes a statistics for business that are closing yeah 100 percent. i think it is painful and it's it's sad to see but how many times have you had the successful business owners say how many times they failed before they got it right yeah. and i think that with technology as it is now the barriers to entry to a lot of industries are so much lower and uh, you need so little capital to actually start businesses um, that I generally think the next three to five years will be a decent time to start businesses because it's a completely different environment, even to 10 years ago to start businesses. So um, I think, I think I'm pretty positive about the UK. I haven't been positive actually for the UK for years, but it's actually, I think we're, we're all right. I think we're going to be fine. Just get but- through the next six months I read your, your your article about that um, that recently that sort of that slightly more increased positivity about UK, which um, you know for the last few years, I guess because of that uncertainty, lots of lots of people, lots of investors have gone, do you know what? Better value somewhere else, better opportunity. Yeah. Let's go US or whatever. But actually, it seems like you you're not alone in going. Actually, let's there's some there's some potential here in the UK as well. Yeah, I mean the UK. If you look at the UK equity market, it's it's valued about thirty percent less than global markets so it's a really big discount to global markets but also earnings growth um, this year for the uk market earnings growth is expected to be about 40 42 percent 
growth, earnings growth. Compare that to the US at about 20. Next year, the UK is expected to earnings grow by about 16%. Um, and this is the kind of points that the IMF just don't look at, just don't get. They just think, well, if the economy's in trouble, we'll get some more policies to sort it. It's kind of the micro parts that, that's going to drive us out of this recovery. It's yeah. earnings growth. It's, it's small companies, it's small businesses growing. That's what's going to get us out of it. Um, excellent stuff. Ben, you've got, um, or WKM, I've got a webinar, I think, 3rd of February um, coming up, which uh, you're going to be looking at the first quarter and update on the economic landscape generally. Um, so there's a promo for that. Um, I'm sure much. you can find out the details for that on, on your website, which is www.dukmwealth.co.uk. Um, ben, final final question, and this might might be too long of a question. Don't worry. Um, what's your view on on the the, the, the GameStop stuff in in the US and the the, the craziness that um, you know, Reddit uh, um, forum have, uh, have tried to you know beat the hedge funds? Um, what, what's your view on all of that? It's really interesting. Um, I mean. It's, it's really interesting, the reaction as well from um, policymakers, what's been going on. So, um, and there's a lot of really big investors out there that think markets are efficient. And this sort of thing just proves how inefficient markets are, that GameStop can go from, I think their share price was something like 2 or $3 last summer. Yeah. Um, and it's now gone up to what, it was $350 earlier yeah. this week. Yeah. Um, based on technicalities. It's got nothing to do with GameStop as a business. It's just the technical aspects of the market and what investors have been doing. But it's really interesting that um, effectively a band of retail investors in the US can do this. It kind of makes you think, doesn't it? Um, it's it's amazing, yeah. The power it's, of um, these forums the, the, of technology. The, the, the power of it. And then to... Um... To, which, in effect, what they've shown is um, the, the very simple adage of supply and demand. Yep. But then the the regulators and the people that are losing lots of money call it market manipulation. And, of course, yep. it, it kind of is as well, but yep. not in the traditional sense of, of, of what we've seen as market manipulation. But um, I, think, I think it's perhaps because they've done it with a stated aim that people don't like yep. it. Like, yeah. if, there was, if, there was a, if there was a hidden... Uh, aim or it, it was just you know someone saying i think this has got a really good potential future buy it and then everyone was buying it i don't think there'd be so much of a problem yeah but it's almost because they've gone we're, we're only doing this to show it to the man and and yeah. and the hedge funds um the the, the 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 shorters have lost i think it said 30 billion at the minute is where they're at yeah, yeah. huge and it, numbers it'd be interesting to see what the reaction would have been if if these were actually hedge, fund, hedge funds pushing the price up mm. rather than retail investors pushing the price up yeah. Um, but it's quite it's it's quite nice. I know you shouldn't probably say this, but it's quite nice to see, isn't it? That that they kind power of to the people. Yeah, power to the people, definitely. I don't know what how this is going to change um, policy or market um, regulators' view because I'm not sure they can do too much about it. To be honest. No. I mean, there's maybe a, the, crack down on some of the chat forums because I'm sure there's probably lots of comments on those chat forums that are uh, are not right from a regulatory point of view. But there's, apart there's, from that, there's not much definitely difference. a lot of that, and there's there's um uh, there's 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 definitely a lot of that. Um, I, I, I've seen it on on like TikTok, for instance. You know, I'm on TikTok, and um, there's a lot of people that are 
making share recommendations and 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 you know giving share tips away and it's you know it's just completely uh it, it, wild uh, and unnecessarily advice but the, the point with the the like the GameStop stuff blackberry and, and the other ones that they've done these are all these are all failing businesses and they and the the, the stats clearly show that they are failing businesses um and it's just yep. that they've taken a taken it on as a challenge to uh, to do it um there's there's a there's a quote that um that uh you you've probably heard which it says when the shoeshine boys start giving stock tips stock tips then it's time to get out of the market yeah and um and the, there's uh, that's for me uh, it just seems like that's where the us is right now and i know like if you take out so the, the the big tech names actually the us is, has been doing it's it's been doing well but nothing like you know over the top but take out the you know the top 10 or 15 shares or whatever and which are doing amazing yeah. um but it does seem uh it does seem like we're almost getting to that point where the you know the average joe is going i've got a tip i've got a share tip for you and yeah uh, and that maybe that's the Maybe that's the time to, well, at least to um, to close your ears to that and not listen to them and take proper professional advice. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can agree that. So there we go. That was Ben Wattam from Wattam Kirby and me, financial planning and wealth management firm based in Leicester. Moving finally across to Friday, and today saw news that consumer spending has fallen 35%, but that's probably pretty obvious given that there's just nowhere for anyone to spend their money. And there was also news that a further £1.2 billion was handed out as new or extended bounce-back loans in the last month, so middle of December to middle of January. And apparently 20,000 applicants were denied, but I can't see any reasons why they were denied, so I assume that that was something related to fraud checks or some other reason. But if you've applied for a bounce-back loan or an extension of one and you've been refused, then get in touch Drop us an email, info at businessherald.co.uk or um, messages on social media. So that's us for this week's Business Herald. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found it useful, engaging and informative. But let us know your feedback on social media, on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. We're at the Business Herald. You can also find us at www.businessherald.co.uk where you can subscribe to the weekly email which has all of the week's news headlines and links to where you can find further podcasts. But for now, see you next Friday for another episode of The Business Herald.